It's April 20th, 2023, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, welcome to the all, well, I guess we're getting close to the end of the month, where we're going to be doing two podcasts back to back because we've gotten so off track. It's been, I think, probably the weirder one of the weirder months this year so far between Matthew's plumbing issues and just work in general, we've seemed to have gotten a little off, off track, but that's okay. And we are going to catch up with you guys and get moving on to a couple of interesting topics. And, and today, today we wanted to talk about artificial intelligence because there's been a lot of talk about that, about architecture and AI. We've started seeing a lot of, AI generated stuff. And, and one of the things that just killed me because I, I you know, I, I don't know much about it. I don't know enough about it other than there's an Instagram account, account called Republicans and it is AI generated drag queens of Republican legislators. And it's just hilarious. If, if you're, if you're a Democrat, you're going to love it. If you're a Republican, maybe not so much, but it is it is one of the funniest things. And so that's when I'm thinking of AI, that's exactly exactly where my mind is going these days. But we're going to talk about something a little more serious, and we're going to try not to be too dry, but bear with us because some, <laughs> some of this is going to is going to be a little bit of dry because we're getting into some technical things here. So we want to talk about really what is AI, how does it work? And what are its potential applications in architecture? So for people who've been hiding under a rock, like me, <laughs> artificial intelligence is the development of computer systems that can perform tasks that typically require human intelligence, you know, whether that's recognizing speech, understanding natural language, recognizing images, or making decisions. And the way that it works is AI uses algorithms, which are the sets of rules or instructions that will enable a computer system to perform a specific task. Those algorithms are typically based on statistical models or machine learning, which allows the system to learn from data and improve its performance over time. So hopefully that's not too technical and it sounds like a lot of math, <laughs> which I'm not necessarily great at. But it, it's interesting that it just sort of takes all of this this information and somehow starts to generate images out of it. Yeah, and and there's different types of AI. You you have and the first one's probably a little bit more straightforward. It's a, it's rules based. It, it the system the AI system can use a a predefined set of rules to make decisions and perform tasks such as identifying spam emails by looking for specific keywords or phrases. Then you have machine learning uh, AI, which uses statistical models and algorithms, all the, all the math that, that Larry's talking about, to learn from data and, and improve its performance over time. And within within machine learning, you've got your unsuper your supervised learning, where it's where the system is trained. Like this is this type of data. This is this type of data. Like it's trained to label data in a certain form from the its human overlords. Well, hopefully we stay that way. But yeah, and then there and then you have your unsupervised learning, where where the system is just fed data from a fire hose, and it just learns different associations from that data. 
And then the last two are your neural networks, which is, I guess, what Google's working on these days. It, it's a, it's an AI system that is modeled after the structure of the human brain. Uh, they, they use interconnected nodes. Uh, it was very technical, but it was the, the, the technical term was using interconnected nodes to process data and make decisions. And that's as about as far down that rabbit hole as I really wanted to go because the next layer of, of AI is is the deep learning, which is the types that you know have beat chess masters or learned uh, go uh, and, and and just become just phenomenal at, at, at very specific things. but the, the deep learning AIs are a type of neural networks that have many layers which which, enables the system to learn and recognize complex patterns in data like when you're playing chess like like I, I I know that certain chess masters actually go insane after a certain amount of time because there's just there's too much data that they're, they're trying to analyze and so and so that's what uh, a deep learning system can do is it, it, it because it, there's so much data flooding in that it, it's able to process that and recognize those complex patterns the same way the chess masters, chess masters who go insane did because there's just they, they, they there's there's so much input that you're just like, Bleh. so an AI overall an AI works by using algorithms and statistical models to enable computer systems to perform larger tasks that may typically retire ugh, require human intelligence. So the question for us really today, I mean, it's it's going to be about how can we apply that that dictionary definition to architecture? How do we, how do these various types of AI really plug into architecture? And to do that, what we're going to start with, it's going to be necessary to start with integrating AI into the building design process. What does that really mean? That's because it's, it's what architects do for a living. There's a design process that I think we all tend to follow. Then we'll talk about the use of AI in construction and construction management, because with all the data that you know, if if you have a system that's using data to do all this analysis or to to create these these images, so to speak, you know, construction management is a lot of data. So how do we use that to really help us in construction management? And finally, we're going to talk about the ethical concerns from integrating AI into the design process because there are things that you you are talking about data, and there's some privacy issues and there's some some bias issues. And so how do we as architects, if we're using this 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 artificial intelligence, how do we actually overcome some of those, or how do we make ourselves aware and make sure that we're not missing something? So, so we're going to start with the design process. It's AI in the design process, and we already have people that are developing these programs, and maybe maybe even some AIs that can design spaces. And we've seen enough of that online. And there's if you can go on Instagram and look for architecture AI. And it just will pop up images all over the place. Now, some of these designs aren't particularly good. You know, if you if you're looking at, it, at them even with a minimal amount of architecture experience, you're going to look at mm, this isn't so great. But the programs themselves are actually improving, and it's one of those things of okay, if we're going to find a way to integrate some of this into architecture, we need to find a way to do it responsibly. We need to find a way to really make it part of the process without it being the only process itself. So, so the, so the big question now is that, that we have to ask is how does an AI design? 
and and without going into the 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 deep dive that is generative design the the short version is that an ai uses algorithms which are specific rules or processes programmed into computer to generate ideas based on input from human operators and that input from people is really what governs the ultimate results that you can get from an ai and and there's different inputs that that architects can use you have your building function the site location the site topography uh, a client budget like that that that's a huge one uh structural considerations especially if you're in an earthquake zone or uh you're in florida with, with all the hurricanes and then and then your sustainability goals there, there's there's an infinite number of inputs that you could use that the style of the architecture that you're using whether it be modern or farmhouse or what uh what, whatever you're trying to go for but there, there's just so many different ways you can do that and managing those inputs is is really key in the outcome that you get from the AI system that you're using. And for me, it's, it's, you know, you're talking about inputs. I, I think about building codes because building codes are constantly changing and you go from municipality to municipality and they're using different versions of that code. So at some point is the data that you're, the input you're using is, is the data. Are you somehow linking the code, the international code <laughs> For whatever specific region you're in, into into the input. I mean, is it, is there just a direct link? Because just that alone can change so much because of how much your insulation. I mean, there's just there's all those little things like that. I had you know, aside from the just the, the design aspect of it and the style and and the building function, you get into the code aspect of it and all that sort of stuff. It just can can get bananas. But there are some benefits to this, or there appear to be some benefits to this. And to start with, we're talking about speed because you know computers can spit out thousands of designs in the in the time it takes one of us to come up with three or four designs. Computers can spit out so much more, and they're going to produce results that are going to be good, bad, somewhere in between. Some things that are unexpected because. AI doesn't necessarily work the same way a human brain does. And for in some aspect, I mean, this could lead to a new creative idea that, that we may not have even considered something that might never have crossed our mind. If the, you know, the computer is thinking maybe in ways that we're not thinking. So now suddenly we have a very unusual idea that we had never considered. And even if a whole floor plan is unusable or <laughs> safe for human habitation, there may there may be pieces of ideas that we can sort of pick and choose and start incorporating into design that we eventually put together. I mean, this is this is you're getting bits and pieces. And and honestly, architects will do this just in a normal process. I, I'm not sure about you, Matthew, but I know that I do that that you'll have multiple iterations of a design. And sometimes it's taking a little piece of this and a little piece of that and a little piece of this one and kind of bringing them all together to make it work. So yeah, it's it's if the computer's generating these ideas and you have just all this data to pull from yourself. Yeah. I, I can see the, the benefit of that, that, that suddenly you have all this, all this stuff that you can look at and kind of pick and choose and kind of work through. Yeah. I can actually see where that would be useful in something like uh, highly regulated environments, uh, especially with like hospitals and assisted living places that have such a stringent health code that like, 
all the end results end up looking the same anyway. Like most hospital, like most ERs uh, have the same layout. They just like, they have to, because that's just the way that humans have functioned most efficiently is this layout with it. Like, like it's very prescribed. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's very little left up to a designer in, in those types of environments. So having an AI come along and suggest improvements to that or or even just a different look like finding instead of just reusing the same tired old design that everybody else has done maybe just improving on on something that's been something that something that has been super repetitive because of either health code or security reasons or for whatever else i I could definitely see a a very unique opportunity there that an ai might be able to help us with but another benefit that I see as a result of including AI in design is optimization. And that's a broad word, but as it stands right now, giving an AI inputs and direction to follow is, is actually a very artistic endeavor. As an architect and as, and as someone who is, I, I, I've played around with ChatGPT and MidJourney which is another, uh, it's a, it's an AI that generates images based on your text, based on a text box that you type up. But in, in my experience with those different AI softwares, I, I don't know if you can't call it software, but with, with those, with those, with those different AI systems, you, you can be as specific or as broad as you want. But, but, but your result, but it's, it's a very, like, you have to be good at tweaking what you say to the AI based on the result that it gives you back. So like, you can say, I want to build a modern house in the deserts with four rooms that look over a canyon. And the AI, the AI will spit out an image that roughly gives you what you're looking at. But you have to be able to see those results and then say, okay, I like that, but now I want to add it's nighttime. There's there's a bit of a breeze, so that's kicking up some sand. Like like just adding like finding ways to take your broad house in the desert with four rooms and and adding that extra little bit of environment, that extra little bit of detail, just going the extra little bit so that the AI gets as much information from you as it can. Like in some instances, you, you're becoming a writer because you're having to describe the environment. You have, you're describing the lighting. Like you're, you're this text box. This text box has become your like canvas almost that the AI uses to generate its final results. But where the AI really excels is optimizing the results based on your input. And, and I think it's been absolutely fascinating to see how the AI improves as the humans improve, but the two are inextricably linked. So it's really like, like the, the more detail you can give it, the more, the more detail. I, I love this idea of, of your almost writing because I guess in a way you are, because you're trying to come up with it. It's almost like a, for your project scope, this is what we want to do. And this is how all the things you want to have in it. But it sounds like you know the the more detail you can give the the better better optimize the end result is and it's just it's kind of fascinating because I mean we we do we sit down and we write sometimes very 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 detailed scopes and of course 
what's the result we want to get out of that, and that's what we try to try to strive strive for. But the the other benefit, I guess, to this too, though, is that uh, <laughs> I guess it's a benefit is that we don't know what the future holds. So our job at the moment is kind of safe because AI still needs that human input and the human critical eye to make things go together correctly. And a great example of that is just the code issues, what we're talking about, you know, with using integrating whatever the current code is. Tweaking that input for better results or or sometimes it's just putting a coherent floor plan together that we can give the AI all of this stuff, but ultimately it's going to be us as architects to really determine the final result because we probably know this at this point better than than the AI does itself. And of course, there there are inherent problems with this that you know, <laughs> possibly losing our job, not necessarily being one of them. But but I think the biggest thing, and we talk about this with the speed, is that. AI can generate a large volume of ideas and there's a good aspect to that. And there's a really bad aspect to that because at some point you're trying to sort through a huge amount of data and the sheer volume of that can be overwhelming. And how many people do you have in an office who's trying to sift through all this information and, and the fact that AI still gets things wrong. So if the data that it's using is wrong or it's incomplete or it's missing some key piece and the result's going to be just as flawed as that. So you're now looking through generated ideas and it turns out you've missed something. And so you have to have competent architects that are going to be able to sort through that stuff and really produce something that an architect's going to want to put their name or, or reputation on, stake their reputation on. Oh, look, this is what we got from AI-generated design. Isn't it cool? Well, is it something you're really willing to stand behind? And have you really been able to sift and sort through all that data so that makes sense? Yeah, and and speaking of an architect's reputation, <laughs> sometimes, and, and, and you mentioned a, a great example of this earlier, but like, there are architects who are who some people would be considered too reliant on a given system, like Tesla's self-driving feature, where you see these people just completely reclined in the front driver's seat with the, the car doing all the driving. And then, oh, by the way, they get into an accident. Yeah, well, that's because you were sleeping while the car was driving, even though that thing is not fully autonomous, even though Tesla has advertised it as such. All that to say is there's a risk of becoming too dependent on these systems at the expense of an architect's creativity. And, and the, a big example that I'll give that doesn't involve AI is I can drive down 75, the major highway here in Dallas, and find the buildings that were designed by Revit because Revit likes to do very orthogonal, very boxy, very straight lined structures it doesn't like like these tilted walls or anything slanted overly much like there's some limitations to the software that anybody who uses the software is able to recognize but the problem with that is because the software has these limitations a lot of architects rather than finding workarounds within the software will just bend to whatever the software is good at. And what Revit is good at is are these big, boxy, repeatable structures. And so 
you can drive down the highway and find the big boxy building with the repeatable elements and be like, yeah, that was, I'm pretty sure that was designed in Revit or because, because the architect was just working with the software rather than, and, and, and using the, the software strengths, but without considering what the building could have been. Like there's, there was a loss of creativity when you just relying on the software to solve all of your problems. And, and with AI, there, there's a risk of becoming even more dependent on that because it's such a powerful tool. Revit is, is something that is completely human driven. Imagine how dependent people could be on something that is, it's, it's even easier to use. It's even more lifelike than, than just a stupid human input, like uh, driven program, like, like Revit, like there's, it's a huge trap, and I and I, I I see I see future problems for the industry if we continue to not use our creativity to to just get out of that rut. Yeah, if if we let the computer system tell us what it is we're designing versus us having that that thought process ourselves, and I think for me it it always makes me think of Frank Gehry, and you know he developed his own software to start designing buildings and stuff, and and came up with some really unique shapes and developed a very very distinctive style i guess is the way to put it so i can see a lot of potential for uh, for people to come up with these really cool facade designs and suddenly instead of creating it with the thought in mind of okay how are we building this and how is this coming together because i always see that i i'm at the same time as i'm designing the plan and the facade i'm also kind of working through building sections and okay what does this really look like when we start building it and instead we're kind of now backing that portion into what is this really fantastic facade. And, and of course that gets into this whole idea of, you know, how does AI handle construction and construction management? And so that's what we really want to talk about next is, is how does that play into this aspect of, of design overall? And, and for this bit, we actually went to chat GPT and asked how would you improve construction and construction management as it relates to architecture? And, and, and so for this, we're going to just start with what an AI actually prescribed, what, what it would do. <laughs> so for, for starters, when I asked it, what, what would you do to improve construction and construction management? The, its first suggestion was, optimizing construction schedules and it was talking about how an ai algorithm could analyze project timelines and resource allocation and and other factors to identify the most efficient construction schedule and it could this analysis could help construction managers optimize resource use reduce delays and maximize project efficiency that was the answer that it gave and i was like yeah that i mean if you have a smart enough computer program that that could manage everybody's schedules and and look at look look ahead far enough into the future to handle any kind of uh supply delays like you like we got from covid like if there was a a six-week waiting period that just turned into a six-month waiting period to get these specific windows from the specific supplier maybe the ai could come in and and adjust the the construction schedule based on the shortage of those windows. I, I mean, I, I I could definitely see where that would be a benefit. Now, again, it still requires that input. Like the client's going to want 
these specific windows. So then you have to tell the AI, again, it's, it's about giving those specific instructions. But yeah, I could definitely see where if you use it correctly, the AI would be able to do that. But again, it all stems from the human communication from that. And so if your, your, your AI tool is still only going to be as good as the people produce or producing the inputs that gets that gets the AI going. So yes, it could optimize it. But again, as it stands right now, it's only as good as the people working with it. And one of the other things that that the AI that chat GPT came up with this is just hilarious that it was, you know, producing this stuff for you is one of the things that said was, well, the AI can, can help with tracking progress. It can, we can be used to monitor construction progress, identifying when certain tasks are completed and when delays or problems arise. And it's sort of that real time monitoring to sort of, I guess, help construction managers respond quickly to issues and so make necessary adjustments to the project schedule. But again, it goes back to the idea. You have to put this information in there. So I don't know how, how, I guess if you give it enough information, it will actually just sort of take that and adjust everything to it. But I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it seems kind of weird to ask, ask it to do that, but you have to tell it. It's, it's like you have to tell it to do it, I guess. And at this point you're, you're telling it, okay, you know, it's not connected to enough inputs, independent inputs to be able to, it's almost like, every vendor you're using would have to send you the data that they have to input to make sure that all this stuff happens. I, I don't know. It did. It is. It's, it's kind of cool that it's thinking that it can do this stuff, but at the same time, I, I think there's, there's so many underlying data points that you would be required to have to really, really make it work. And it's the same thing with identifying, identifying the potential delays or cost overruns, which is what one of the other things that the chat GBT talked about was that using the AI algorithms to analyze data on construction projects and then identifying the potential delays and cost overruns before any of that actually happens. And it's great. It can, you know, it gives the construction managers the opportunity to sort of take this corrective action before anything really becomes an issue. So whether that's, you know, it may just be a simple matter of reallocating resources or adjusting project schedules, but it's, it's this, this notion that you have that ability to do that and, and, or the AI has the ability to do that. And, and I know, you know, we, we've, Matthew, you and I have both been there where it's been like all of a sudden the six week lead time on windows now just became six months. Yeah. I think all of these, considerations as as chat gpt has laid them out for us so far can all be grouped into scheduling issues and big brothery type stuff because the last two the chat gp last two points that chat gpt mentioned for helping construction management was safety monitoring and predictive maintenance and that goes back to and the predictive maintenance is goes back to scheduling like it when is the equipment going to when is the equipment going to wear out? When are repairs needed? Like that type of analysis is, is, is a scheduling thing. So if as long as you have a smart enough program and put the right numbers in, then sure, it'll spit out what what would be a good schedule for maintaining that or, or, or predicting future problems. But I don't get the feeling that it's necessarily there yet like i just from what it's saying right now like we don't have the technology to just automatically give it all of this data like 
it would require a level of connectivity that I think a lot of people would balk at just because the computers would always need to be running. The computers would always need to be looking into your business. The computers would always, the, the AIs would always need to be constantly in everything. And, and which goes to the, the, the last point is the safety monitoring. Uh, ChatGPT said, AI can be used to monitor safety conditions on construction sites, identifying potential hazards or violations. For example, AI-powered cameras could analyze images of the construction site to identify workers not wearing safety gear or improperly using equipment. And that to me just j- just smacks of 1984 a bit. Like, I don't know, that, that was a little bit too big brothery for me. I know we have I know we have smartphones that can spy on us for any number of things already. Why do we want f- f- more in, in in intrusion into that? I mean, I know it, it, maybe it adds a level of convenience that that plenty of people would trade the level of convenience for the the type of intrusion necessary to achieve that, but uh, it just feels a little much for me, I guess. Well, and we're so we're so used to our phones already doing it that you've got to wonder how hard is it going to be to make the leap from one to the other? Because it's like, well, you know, my phone already tracks everywhere I go. Now, I know that like Apple has started giving the option to turn your tracking off, but it took how many years for that to actually happen for people to finally say, okay, enough is enough. It's it, and I think you know my my prime example, of course, is getting my car one day and having my phone tell me it's eleven minutes to Starbucks. You know now where I'm going every morning, and you're telling me that it's how how long it's going to take me to get there. Um, ooh, that's just <laughs> to me that's super big brother. But the same thing, it's if AI is telling me that, oh look, we're using the AI powered camera to tell you that that guy's not tied in. You know, he's got a safety harness on, but he's not tied into the whatever the cabling is to keep him from falling at falling over. So go get him and, and make sure he does it. And just gets kind of creepy, but but again, it, it brings us into that ethical consideration of for you know integrating AI into the design process, and that's that issue of privacy because AI is going to be using so much data to de- generate design options, and and some of that's going to be user preferences or behavior data data, and all of a sudden, the architects and even the AI developers are going to have to suddenly be very transparent about what data they are collecting and how it's being used. And on top of which that now we have to make sure that all that data is collected and stored in a way that protects the end user's privacy and in accordance with all applicable laws. It's, it's, it's firms having to now make sure that they have a defined privacy policy. You know, what is our, what's our security policy and what's our privacy policy and not just the big firms, every single firm who wants to use AI potentially having to have that type of policy and not only have that policy, but adhere to it because if the data gets loose, you know, you, you see what happens to these credit card companies where they've had data breaches and all of a sudden they're paying millions and millions and millions of dollars in fines and having to do leap through all of these hoops to, to make amends to people and to make sure that their data isn't, isn't breached, you know, next time. So yeah, so so there is that privacy con- concern to this, and, and I do know that in, in the um, European Union, the countries that are in the European Union, there are some very 
very strict privacy regulations. I just know this from from James working in consulting because they have to adhere to what those privacy concerns are. And there's there's things that can't be asked, and there's things that can't be, uh, I guess, given, so to speak. So the EU is very very concerned about that, and uh, you know this is now suddenly another layer of of potential, I guess, liability for architects that we now are collectors of all this data and we have to make sure that it can't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, geez, I, I, I'm pretty sure as of like April 4th, I think it was even Italy just outright banned chat GPT because of those privacy concerns. So there, there, there's something to be said for that. If the entire governments say they can't handle the, the, the privacy concerns that are being brought up, what makes you think your local architecture firm down the street's going to be able to? <laughs> but but that brings us to the second point within uh, the ethics of AI and architecture, which is bias. Because there, as we know from social media, that algorithms are able to perpetuate existing biases. And while you might not think that there are existing biases in design or decision making, I I, I would hesitate to to to. I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't put that blanket statement out there. So to avoid bias, you know, architects and AI developers will need to make sure that that data used to train the algorithm is diverse and and representative of different groups, and and on top of that. The engineers and developers need to work with architects to evaluate the AI for any of those biases during its development and use so that it continues to stay on the right track. Because if fed enough data, AI will eventually go where that is leading or produce results in the the dis, in the direction that the data is leading it. So you have to you have to it's a constant constantly watching the data to make sure the data stays pure enough for you to use it as an architect with an AI system. Like, like there's, there's, there seems to be a lot of consideration here that, that, that needs to go into that. And I don't think that, I don't think that we've fully thought that through. And, and here's the fun part. So I went and asked chat GPT, what, so what are some existing biases that you are aware of in design that an AI may perpetuate? And chat GPT came back to me uh, with, with, with gender bias, racial bias, socioeconomic bias, accessibility bias. Like, yeah, these are all, the, these are all incredibly relevant. I mean, with racial bias, you had the the redlining of the 1950s and 60s in the United States. Uh, it was a horrible practice. It should never be reproduced in any data set. And if you have an AI that is just looking at housing trends over the last hundred years and what is the best way to organize uh, residential construction uh, in the future, like, if you're look if you're taking all of that data into consideration, you also either have to provide the the counter data which says, yeah, this data over here was bad because of this. So I mean you have to provide so much data and so much reference, so many reference points that it, it just gets a it, it gets really complicated. But I could also see an example where accessibility bias could be a big deal. We talked about architects in, in Europe not having access to certain chat like chat gpt for example 
I could see an, another example where you have, um, I don't know that any international architects would have the same level of experience designing for uh, people in wheelchairs that that the the United States architects do. Like ADA is a huge deal. I that is that is horrible. I don't I don't like I don't like what I was saying there. Why? No, no. It's it's you're 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 completely right. I mean, it it is it is when it comes to accessibility, we are we have very defined rules. We have very defined regulations and. You know the AI has to be aware of that. It has to know what those things are. And and if you're if you're in a foreign country that doesn't necessarily follow <laughs> follow those same regulations, and you're coming over here to to do a building, and you're using something like AI, you don't necessarily know to put in all of these all this information about accessibility within the U.S. or even within individual states because the the accessibility standards can change from state to state to state. So you know, I I think you're you're very right. It's it is, it is one of those things that could perpetuate. You know, the AI could perpetuate that bias just because we don't. The person putting the data in doesn't understand completely what that is, and and it, and even, you know, we we are so used to the physical aspect of an accessibility issue that we don't always think about the things that we don't see, like sound or light. Or I was thinking mental health issues that you know some some spaces may be very reactive to some people, but it's not visibly it's not a visible accessibility issue. So yeah, I, I think there is all of those things, and and again it becomes to to how many data points do you bring into this? How much data do you bring into this to sort of have AI avoid these biases? Because you were right, it's it's you're looking at a hundred years worth of historic housing data. And oh my gosh, the potential to build a neighborhood where it's white only is is out there because so much that happened over so much time and in, in, into the even you know sixties and seventies, that sort of stuff was still happening. I know that even now there's a homeowners association that's being sued because um, they were wanting to integrate the, the one of the rules that they were changing was that if you had a housing voucher, you could not rent a home in that neighborhood. The homeowners could not rent to you. The housing voucher is a lot of code for black or for um, people of color, and so suddenly it becomes a very big issue. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it is, is those things too. But so so don't don't beat yourself up for saying that because it's it is very true. And and I think that brings us really to the final thing. It's this whole idea of accountability because we can talk about well the design decisions that were made by the AI algorithm. You know, is, do we if something goes wrong, do we blame that on the developer? And I think the answer to, the, to that ends up being no, because as architects, we are responsible for health, safety, welfare. No matter what the AI generates, we have to be responsible enough to go through all of those images and go through all that that output and make the best decision as an architect, You know, best decision for our client, the best decision about what's going to be be the best end result as far as health, safety, welfare, all that stuff. So, I, and I, I can see, I can see someone trying to push it off on the developers. Well, well, their algorithm just generated this, and and it's their fault. And the reality is, is the accountability comes back to us because we are architects and we are responsible for that sort of stuff. And and not only taking responsibility for that, but going that extra step of 
both the AI developers and architects sitting down and, and establishing rules and processes for, for testing the AI's performance to make sure that, that even though, even though architects are the, the final legal, have the final legal say that the, the algorithm is still running as well as everybody expects it to or wants it to. It's easy for us to simply grab a piece of software and use it and expect it to do things. For AI, it's going to become us sitting down with the developers and saying, here's the things we need this to do. And so these algorithms have to take all of these things into consideration. I hadn't even thought about zoning because God knows every city with their zoning ordinances, everybody's so different. And not just straight up zoning, you know, conservation district, historic districts, preservation. I mean, there's all those other aspects to it. So, so yes, there is some accountability there between ourselves, I think. You're right. And, and the developers, because we have to coordinate with them and they have to coordinate with us so that, so that the AI that they're developing for design processes and for design work really take in all of those aspects into consideration so that they're, they're looking for that data. And, and we go from there. I mean, it, it's, it's still in my head so new that there's so much to consider. And, and again, it comes back to that thing of how, how willing are we to be connected to all of this? How willing are we to basically let AI have access to all this data? And how many resources can we pull from? So it's it is that sort of very up in the air, but but yeah, it's it is it's it is a lot to think about, and there's a lot lot to think about, and I'm sure as as AI develops, we'll get more and more into this, and and hopefully this hasn't been. I'm really hoping this hasn't been too technical for everybody because we're geeks. So <laughs> you know, when Matthew brought this up, I'm like, there's going to be some technical information in here because because I know that that. You know, I know that you're going to go dig into this and and get the technical aspects of it because it's what you do. Oh, but I tried. I tried so hard to to like I I oh I I could I got lost in the weeds myself just in just just in trying to come up with an outline for this and oh gosh yeah it you can get so lost into the details uh, but it's such a fascinating area of research and development that that i think everybody needs to be aware of it because it's it's the future and it's coming and geez people kids are already using it to help them with their homework so of course this next generation of kids is going to be relying on ai to to do it's it's like it's like when you're sitting at the kitchen table and and your parents say, "Oh, well, you're not always going to have access to a calculator to to do your math homework." And then, well, jokes on them because we all have calculators in our pockets these days. So it's it, it's it's a generational change. It's coming, and and you, we I guess we just gotta be ready for it. But yeah, it was absolutely fascinating just digging into the the nitty gritty details on this one. And I think there's definitely going to be be more that. You know, as this develops, I, I think we can come back and revisit this. We could probably come back in a year and have a completely different conversation. So, and and not just necessarily about the the process itself, but but what it's generating. And and if you guys have any really cool images that you're finding or anything that you want to share with us, you know, you always can. 
Uh, you can reach me, Larry, at SpottedDogArchitecture.com or on Instagram and Twitter at SpottedDogArch. And you can find me at AddingArchitecture.com, Matthew at AddingArchitecture.com, and you can find the podcast at ArchitectureGeeks.com or on Instagram at ArchGeeksPodcasts. So I think that's where we're going to call the day for the day. We I apologize for the... the it, got, it did get a little dry, but thank y'all for sticking with us and we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.